Amen, amen, and some more amen. amen. I'm seeing a resurgence among pastor friends of guys saying, you know, we need to, uh, we need to go back to doing some expository preaching and preaching through the Word and not just preaching topically all the time. And so as we're about to hit um, what is termed as the uh, Christological hymn, we're not going to be there today, but the next passage after this, it starts talking about God being the immortal, invisible, and all that. We're going to get there, but we're going we're gonna to get through, uh, through this verse 11 today. But I want to pick up for context, let's, let's pick up verses 9 through 11. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And that's where we got through two weeks ago. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Man, what a powerful verse here, but a challenging, a very, very challenging verse. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For what reason? For all endurance and patience, but not just endurance and patience, endurance and patience with joy. Let's pray over the Lord's Word. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for you inspiring this word to be written. We thank you for, for Paul in writing to this church at Colossae, the Colossian people. God, we pray that you will help us to see, because even though he wrote this to them and people say, oh, this is an ancient book, and us, but God, you are timeless. And so the things that you wrote to them, we struggle with today. And the things that you inspired to be taught to them, we need to receive in teaching today. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to receive from your word to change our lives in the here and now and be in your hands and your feet in our own community. And, Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for you alone are worthy. The church together said, <clears throat> Amen. So as we pick up this text heading into verse 11, we're reorienting ourselves because, uh, you know, we had a guest speaker last week, and so... Sometimes you got to get your mind back on to where we're going. We're going to reorient ourselves for just a moment. Paul prayed for this church at Colossae, and so he tells them, he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. All right, you need to see a progression here. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so I know what God wants. And then I need to have wisdom and spiritual understanding. We've talked about that, that then the wisdom is being able to know how to apply something all right. There's a lot of people that have knowledge, but they're not wise with it. So they don't know how to take what they know and do something with it. All right. But then spiritual understanding says, all right, so I, I know God's will. I understand how to apply it, but I understand it in the context of my spiritual life, not just in the physical life. This is where a lot of people really get off track. It's why prosperity gospel has such following because people say, oh, oh I, I read where God's word, you know, says he wants... Uh, he, he wants your soul to pro, he wants you to prosper even as your soul prospers. And they go, oh man, 
So I see that in the physical, and I think I can be wise and apply that in my job, but they don't take it in the spiritual context. So they see it all as money. They see it as houses and cars and all this stuff and don't grasp the spiritual side of that. So we need all three. And then he says, I want all of these in order that you would walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, if, if you are... In fact, I made a, I made a statement to someone recently uh, about an, uh, an event potentially that I was going to be involved in. And I made this statement. I said, look, one of the things that I've come to realize is that as a pastor of a church, when I get involved in something, whether it's in the community or whatever else, I don't just represent me and I don't just represent my family. But I, by, by very nature of being pastor of this church, then I represent this church. Even if it has nothing to do with, even if I'm not saying, oh, I'm here as the pastor of Unity Point to be a part of this event, but still because that I am known and I carry that title, that name, if you will, of, oh, he's a pastor at Unity Point, then when people see me involved with something, then they link that to the church. And so by, by nature of association, then they would link that to you. All right, so if I went out here and I made some crazy statement you know, and, 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 and I, you know, said, I, I think that, that, that we ought to bomb this or we ought to do that, you know, or then people look and go, wait a minute, don't you go to that church where that guy said that here not too many months ago, there was a, there was a guy who made some bad statements in a church out in California. And he made some very, very harsh statements about people being shot and some things like that. And, and so people, then it reflected back on the people of that church. Why? In the same way that if you go out, Jason, Jason works for a, a company down here uh, next to Publix, and if, and if he was wearing his shirt, which he normally is on Wednesday night when he comes in, because he comes straight from work, if he was wearing his, his shirt representing that company, and he goes out and does something in public in today's day and age, somebody will take a picture of him, they're liable to take a video, he might go viral, and, and what will happen then is people won't just say, oh, this is this dude, Jason Free. They'll go, this is this dude, Jason Free, that works at this company, Hertz. And so whatever he did might hurt Hertz. <laughs> right? And then Hertz would hurt Jason. So what he did that hurt Hertz would hurt Jason. I'm just saying. That's understanding that. So when he says, I, I, I want you to have these things so that you will walk worthy of the Lord, it is because that when we call ourselves Christians, we are bearing the name of Christ. We're saying, you grasp this, we're saying, I represent Christ. Now that should be a sobering thought because on the one hand, we go, oh my goodness, I know how many times that I falter and I fail. Look, and Christ knows that too, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. That's why I often tell people that it, it's so important that as we walk through our spiritual life that we don't portray this thing of, man, I'm perfect. But that we portray a thing that says, look, when I fall, when I stumble, I'll go to my Father, and He is faithful and just to forgive me. And, and, and because he, has, he doesn't kick me out for being His child, but I don't sit, turn around and go, well, it doesn't matter because I'm His child, so it really don't matter what I do anyway, and I'm just going to run around and do stuff that's harmful to the brand to the name, you know? So he said, I want you to have these things in order that you walk worthy of the Lord, and it should be fully pleasing God. By the way, if you can fully please God, then that means that you could only partially please God. 
I mean, it's just by nature of the very statement. If you can fully please God, then we could be doing things that are not pleasing to God. Okay? And then we would bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. But now we come to this verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And I realize two questions. What good is it if the believer knows God's will but is powerless to do God's will? And how can the believer walk worthy of Christ if he does not have the power to do so? So when we read some of this stuff, we go, oh, this is great. You know, Paul's praying and says, oh, I, I, I want you to be strengthened, you know, with all power and all this. Um, but, but, but we see all these things he says he wants us to do, that we need to walk worthy and pleasing, fully pleasing to God. Us. But, but what good is it if you know God's will, but you don't have the ability to do God's will? That would just be frustrating. And honestly, many Christian people are there today. Many Christian people are in that spot because they have heard God's will preached, they've heard it taught, they've read about it, they've heard it on the radio, but they find themselves incapable of doing God's will. And so they are constantly asking themselves, why is it that I'm struggling with this? This is why Paul prays what he prays here. May you be strengthened with all power. It went in progression. He said, all these things, I, I want you to, to know God's will and all this other stuff. And so now that you're seeing that, how are you going to get there? You're not going to get there through your own effort. And I think this is where so many people have lost both the wonder and the reality of what it means to pursue this changed life with Christ. Because they just get to that point where they go, I can't do this. And actually, that is the best place for you to be. Because when you reach the point where you say, I can't do this, it's when you finally recognize I need something outside of me to help me to be able to accomplish this. As long as we are sitting saying, you know what? I read that in God's Word. I can do that. Mm. 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 Then we'll ne we won't be relying on God. Because, oh, I can do this in myself. And then that's when people get puffed up. That's when people get all, their ego gets big. I don't know if anybody ever pays any attention. I have a couple of pastor friends that post some of this stuff. But there's, a, there's a, a satirical website out there called the Babylon Bee. And, and they often post things that look like they're news stories, but they are meant to be satire, in other words, sarcastic comedy, regarding church. And they posted one this past week, and I just had to laugh because at times they just hit too close to home within the, the faith community. But it said, stage collapses during service under weight of pastor's ego. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and, and it said the pastor, it was a large church, and, and the, the, right during the middle of the service, said you could see the terror on the pastor's face when he began to hear the cracking noise, and then as he disappeared from sight, falling all the way into the basement as the stage could not withhold the weight of his enormous ego. Hmm. When we think that we can do it, we're operating in our ego, we're operating in ourselves, instead of saying, God, 
I need you to help me make it through this life being the kind of person that you expect me to be, but also being the kind of person that you intend to empower me to be. Because there's a difference. If all we do is promote that, oh, God expects your life to change, God expects you to be this way, then we create a group of people that get frustrated, that get angry, that, that feel de that get depressed about their life because they're saying, I I'm not like that, I can't do that. If we don't turn around and say, but God wants to empower you to do that because it is not about you. It is about him demonstrating his glory, his power, his might through your life in order to show who he is, not about you finding some way to be able to do it yourself. A good friend of mine sent me a text this week to encourage me. He had heard a message uh, from uh, recently that, that I had given, and he made this statement, and it, it was so, he had no idea. I told him, I said, you know, this just came out of the blue. He doesn't text me very often at all. I mean, at all. But he sent me a text, and I'm just going to give you a snippet out of it, but I told him, I said, you have no idea how this encouraged me this week, and also because I knew what we were going to be coming to see. It's not only that you could have a visitor show up at church or you could have one of you that's gone through something this week that I don't know about and we come up on this next passage and you go, man, that's exactly what I need here. But the pastor can be studying something and somebody send something to the pastor and, and the pastor go, my goodness, that's exactly what I needed to hear as I prepare this message that I, so, that I hope is exactly what somebody needs to hear. He sent this to me and he said, I like the phrase. I don't know if he stole it from somewhere. I don't care. It's good, and I'm giving him credit for it. He said, you stood firm in the power of his word, and you delivered the word of his power. Wow. You stood firm in the power of his word, and you delivered the word of his power. It was especially meaningful because of this passage that we were going to go across. So I want us to know this. God's power, both for us and in us, must be something that we preach, teach, understand, and even more importantly, that we receive. God's power. That's why Paul said, I am praying that you will be strengthened I pray that you receive this power, that you'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you'll have endurance, so that you'll have patience, and you'll be able to do both with joy. God's power is not just in us, but it is also for us. It has to be something that we embrace. It's true. There are times that the Bible gives us instances where we're told that we have to do something. Yes, for instance, the Bible tells us that... Um, it's an implied you, but this is laying aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset you and run the race that's set before you with patience. That's an implied you are to do that. You and I are to do that. It's not we're supposed to ask God to do it. He says, you do it. You know you got a weight in the pack? Take it off. You know you got sin in your life? Stop doing it. Yes, there are those instances, but our flesh... By itself, our human efforts will always fall short if they are not strengthened by God's power. We can't get there. We can't get there if we're not strengthened by God's power. Three areas where our flesh fails. Number one, the flesh cannot become perfect. 
neither can it do anything about perfection. No matter how good something is that the flesh does, it's still imperfect. And God is perfect and he can only accept perfection. You, you hang on to that thought. We'll come back to that here in just a second. But our flesh cannot become perfect. Number two, the flesh cannot conquer death. God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what scientific things we keep trying to do. We're going to die. Our flesh cannot conquer death, and death has no part with God because he's all about life. The third thing that our flesh cannot do is our flesh cannot be patient and long-suffering in the face of trials and temptations of life and be joyful at the same time. That's not within our natural ability to face a trial, to face a temptation, to face a hardship in life and be joyful. We can't do that in our flesh. Only God's power can allow us to achieve those three things. So Jesus Christ stepped in and became the perfect person. He lived a life without sin. He died on the cross as our substitutionary sacrifice. What does that mean? It means he died in our place. We were about to have to go face the death penalty, and he stepped forward and said, no, I'll die for you. You're guilty. Why is it we always say, too, we always say, you're guilty of sin. I mean, we know, even our, even our sins. You're guilty of sin. But yet Jesus stepped in and said, even though you are guilty, I will take your place and I will die. Why? Because I'm the one that has the power to lay my life down and take it back up again. You don't because your flesh doesn't have the ability to conquer death. He died that we might live. This is why even if you look at our statement of, of our beliefs listed on our, on our website, when you see salvation we say that we have salvation by grace, through faith, in Christ Jesus. It is in Him. In fact, Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14 says this, Let us walk with decency, as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Listen to what he said there. Walk as if you were in the daylight. Now, y'all know, I'm a sports fan. I like to, and Duke lost last night. That was terrible. I watch basketball. I like to watch different stuff. I like to watch teams. I like to watch golf, though, because I like to watch the guy by himself. Something I wish, you know, I had the great skill and ability to do. But that's why I work during the day for a living, because I don't. <laughs> and, uh, but one of the things that I've noticed a lot is, you know when athletes seem to get in trouble away from the game? You know when it usually happens? About 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. I, there's, there's some guy, I can't remember which one it is, but he was out checking out property recently that he's looking to develop in a city at 2.30 in the morning. And I was thinking to myself, bro, why are you out at 2.30 in the morning checking out some property? And he ended up in a fight with some people, and they videoed it and all this stuff. It seems, this is nothing new though, guys. I 
I mean, look, let's be honest. There, used to, there, there were descriptions that used to be used. There were descriptions that would be used. We always seem to, for some reason, always have been more negative toward, toward women because uh, we, we, for whatever reason, we seem to give men a pass on stuff, and God doesn't, but uh, you would hear, she's a lady of the night. Well, y'all all know what that is. We always equate things nighttime, nighttime, in darkness, because you're trying to do stuff that's hidden. You don't want it to be in the light. You don't want it to be seen. You don't want it to be evident. So Paul says to the church here at Rome in reading this, he says, let's walk with decency as if we were walking in the light where everybody could see us, because they can. Don't walk in carousing. In other words, you're running around with folks. You, you out, you're a partier. You're drunk, sexual immaturity, you're sleeping around, not in quarreling, not in jealousy, but instead, he says, that's the opposite of you putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't do this, but instead do this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we find our salvation in Christ Jesus because we put him on. Now, Quite honestly, there may be some of you here today that you've not accepted that salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And I want to go ahead and let you know. It's early. You know, you could leave on me, but I'm going to go ahead and let you know that later in this, in this message, I'm going to give you the opportunity to accept Christ. So I hope that God begins to speak to your heart now. In the same way, it was God's power that worked in Christ that allowed him to conquer death, hell, and the grave after being buried for three days. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, lacking nothing. Our men worked through a portion of James at one point in our Sunday night studies all the way back when we were in the other building. It is completely a God thing to consider that we might find joy in realizing that trials will bring about endurance. And then to believe that endurance will lead us to become mature and complete. And that that will result in us lacking nothing in our spiritual lives. That, man, we look at that and we go, I, 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 don't, I don't know about that, Pastor. I don't, I don't think I like that concept of that I'm supposed to consider it joy that I go through something. Well, he's not saying consider it joy that you went through it. He's saying consider it joy because you know that the process of going through that is going to produce endurance. Well, pastor, I don't want to have endurance of going through stuff. But that endurance then, when it has its full work, is going to help you to be mature spiritually. It's going to help you to be complete spiritually. It is going to help you to lack nothing in your spiritual life. We go, that does not sound like a good plan to me. Right? I don't know if I like that plan, pastor. And how am I supposed to get there? How am I supposed to then consider it joy to be going through something? Paul told us the answer. The power to do these things comes from God. And how do we receive this power? Paul's letter to the Colossians makes it clear. He said, I am praying to God for you to have these things. 
through prayer, we go and submit ourselves to God to receive this power. As I was reading this passage, there was another scripture that came to mind to me, and it was James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Now, I had to ask myself something, and this was the question I asked myself. Is it possible that the reason we do not have God's power creating patience, endurance, and joyfulness, even during trials, is because we have not asked for it? We ask for other things. We ask, God, don't let me go through a trial. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying that. We ask for God to protect us. We ask for God to protect our jobs, to protect our families, to protect our, our belongings, whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But do we also then turn around and pray, but God, when the rain falls in my life, then I want to be able to have the power that you can give that will enable me to experience endurance and patience and in all of that to have joy. Not saying, oh, I'm happy because I got cancer. Oh, I'm happy because that I lost my job. That's not what he's talking about. We're talking about a deep-seated abiding joy that finds its, its nucleus in God himself, knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us, knowing that he is not going to leave us where that he doesn't feel our infirmities. I'm just trying to give you some, some abstract scripture quote in here. That we don't have a God who can't is not touched with our problems, is not touched with our issues, and therefore responds to them. None of those things. It is understanding who he is and saying, God, I believe and I'm going to trust. Even in the midst of overwhelming things, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to do something out of this to change my life. Maybe we have not asked for patience because we don't want to be put in situations that teach patience. Right? I mean, how do you learn something? Brian's company, you know, goes into these big hotels and all this stuff, and they'll install all of these, you know, this television network and, and have it. Well, if I want to learn how to do that, how am I going to learn how to do that, guys? Come on, this is feedback time. How am I going to learn how to do that? I'm going to go with him, and he's going to, all right, you need to do this, and you need to, and then I got to do it, right? I mean, it's not about just go read a book somewhere. We have to go through it, but maybe we don't ask for patience because we're afraid if I ask for patience, God's going to put me in a situation that'll teach patience. Maybe we haven't asked for endurance because maybe I'm going to end up in a situation that will teach endurance. Maybe we don't ask for joyfulness during trials because I don't want to go through the trial in order to get the joy. And here is what I learned. We want the power, but we don't want the process. We want the end result. It's kind of like those people that, that they're part of a team or it may be in your work, it may be in a sports team or whatever. They want to be national champions, but they don't want to be out there doing two-a-days during the summer because it's hot. That's too difficult. I'm sweating too much. I don't like to sweat. I know. Hey. But, but the process is required in order to get the power. We want the power. We just don't want to be in situations where the power would be useful. Oh, that one's good. I'm just telling you. See, why do you need to have God's power to be 
to have endurance and to have patience with joy, but then never be in a situation where the power is needed to be used. We kind of like God's power like an insurance policy. God, I want to have it so that I can tell everybody, look, you know, I got it. But then we want to turn around and go, but I don't want to be in a situation where I got to use it. I like insurance. I like the, the safety of knowing I have it, but I just don't want to be in a position where I actually have to practically apply it. Paul said, I want you to be strengthened with all power so that you will have endurance and patience. And the word used for patience in this passage is not, it's not a, uh, it's an active word. It's not a passive word. What does that mean? Passive means that, that you just sit back. Active means you take action. And it doesn't describe one who simply sits back and says, well, I'm waiting for the worst to happen. I'm just taking things as they come. Rather, it describes one who rises up, faces the trial, and embraces God's power to overcome and conquer it. There's a lot of people that think, oh, well, being patient means I'm just, I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to find me somewhere and sit down in the corner. Well, I'm just being, I'm just being patient, just waiting on God. I'm still waiting on God. Lord, I'm being patient, just waiting on you. God, you going to do something about this? See, now you're starting to get impatient. But that's not the patience he's talking about. The patience he's talking about says, okay, I see this. I recognize what is happening, and I don't like it. And I don't, I, 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 I hurt and this is fine, but I'm going to step forward in the power that God is going to give me and I'm actively going to take on this trial. I, my patience is not about don't do anything. My patience is about I'm going to stand in the power that God gives and in that power I will wait on his answer. The believer understands that God will use the trial to bring about a desired result in their spiritual walk. Don't misunderstand me. This does not mean that God is causing the trials in your life. I will still, I, I, I will, for, for my lifetime, I will say, when I hear people say, oh, well, you know, God is sovereign, so God chose everything to happen. I'm sorry. I don't see any biblical support for that God chose for people to be molested or that God chose for people to be murdered or that God chose for people to go through other heinous things that, that I, we won't mention here by title, but, but God didn't design that to happen. But the reality of reading Romans chapter 8 verses 28, which tells us that God will cause all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, but those who love him, the reality of reading that is to recognize there would not even be a reason to state that unless there were going to be situations that would cause us to question, God, why is this happening, and what good could possibly come from this? If we were not going to have those questions, Paul would have never needed to come along and say, look, I need you to understand a central truth about God. And it is that he is going to take all things and he can cause them to work together for your good if you love the Lord and you are called according to his purpose. 
He only needs to tell you that if you're going to face that situation. In other words, in, in, in other words he, could, he, could, he could just say, you know what? Because you've accepted Christ, now everything's going to be great. Nothing bad is going to happen. Nothing's going to occur. And so there's no reason for him to come and say, when you face a situation that you're going to look and say, I don't understand how anything good can come out of this. He says, Romans 8, 28, I need you to understand about the nature and the character of God that he can cause all things to work together. Does it mean that it doesn't hurt? Does it mean that it's not a difficult process that we go through? Absolutely not. It never means those things. But it does mean that even out of the most difficult things, that what can come out of that is that, back to Colossians 1.11, that you can be strengthened with all power so that you can endure with patience and with joy. Yesterday, I ran my first full 3.2-mile nonstop run. All right, that's 5K equivalent. All right. <laughs> Only this side applauded. Thank y'all over there. Don't be mad. Don't be a hater. Don't hate the player. Just hate the game, you know? Hater rate. Um, I was not in a race. I wasn't. I was... Uh, we, we went to Chocolata Park yesterday, and I was determined. I was determined because, you know, I've been working my way toward being able to run a 5K, and so it's, you know, 3.2-some-odd miles, and so I ran that yesterday. But it was in preparation because I am going to be in a race, and it's two weeks from yesterday. It's not going to be a race. It's just going to be me trying to finish, okay? <laughs> There's no race that's going to be happening. Some other people are going to be in a race. I'm going to be finishing. That's, that's my, my thing. So... Over the last few months, you know, I've been reading a lot of different things about preparing for your first race. And here's some of those things that you have to do. Number one, you have to build up endurance through training. Now you just, I'm, I'm going to take you somewhere spiritual. You stay with me. You have to build up endurance through training. Number two, you need the right equipment. And you think running, well, you know, hey, I can tell you. There's been some mornings when I've run and it's 29 degrees outside. You better have the right equipment because it is cold. It is flat out cold. My hands will be cold. And then you can't, when you're worried about your hands are cold, your head's cold, because that's where you lose most of your heat. It goes out the top of your head. All right. And so, you know, you try, you get any toboggan so that you don't have to worry because then when you're worrying about everything else, you will struggle through something that's challenging. Mm. You need the right equipment. And then, I read something this past week in getting ready, and it said this, you need to run with patience. I thought, wait a minute, that's biblical. That's biblical. I've seen that. Run the race with patience that's laid out before you. But here was a person in a running magazine talking about when you're going to run your first 5K, you need to run with patience. If you take off with all those people, you're going to burn out before you get through the race. You need to run with patience so that you can get this. It's a running magazine so that you can finish strong. See, when, when we're trying to get through life and we're going through this process, 
We've got to build up endurance through training, which means we're going to go through some difficult things. We've got to have the right equipment, and we're going to have to run the race of our life with patience. So I kept reminding myself during that process, I said, there's a purpose for this process. Why am I doing this? My legs are getting tight. My breathing's hard. And I'm going, but there's a purpose. There's a reason I see a goal because I need to accomplish this two weeks from now, so I need to see if I can do this today. Our lives are going to experience difficulty, no doubt. But God will strengthen us. But here's a powerful thing. Not according to our might. Did you catch what he said in that first verse? He didn't say that I pray that God is going to strengthen you according to some ability of yours. He said, may you be strengthened with all power according to his, being God, his glorious might. Let me tell you something. God's glorious might, not just God's might, his glorious might. If he strengthens you according to that, let me tell you something. We can make it through anything that life may bring. Not because of us, not because it won't be difficult, not because it won't be hard, but because he said God will strengthen you according to his glorious might. Not only will we be strengthened according to his might, giving us endurance and patience, but also to give us joy. Do I really understand it? No. No, I don't. Because from a human standpoint, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. When I read, there's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. F-O-X-E. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And he uh, described all of these different people and the stories of people who were martyred for the Christian faith. There were people who were burned alive at the stake. And when they were tied to the stake and the fires were started and the whole time that it was happening, they would, begin, they would be singing hymns of praise to God. How? I, I can't even comprehend that. I mean, look, I, when they go to draw blood, when I go to the doctor, I hate needles. And so they're about to draw blood from me, and I look like some wimp. I'm going, mm, mm. And I, and I had to tell the lady this last time, I said, look, I'm not going to pass out, I promise you, all right. <laughs> and she was like, okay, I didn't know, because you were looking kind of, I said, I hate needles. I said, it's not even that it hurts, I just hate it. Well, somebody said, we're going to tie you to the stake, and we're going to burn you alive for your faith. And here these people are, men and women. I don't know what hymns they were singing, so I just had to think of really old hymns in my mind. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Flames coming up, taking their very breath. That does not make human sense. How can this young lady at Columbine High School, have we, have we so quickly forgotten, how can this young lady be sitting there and, and that 
fellow student come along and say, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And, and, and for her to sit there and say, yes, I am, knowing he was going to take her life. That makes no human sense. Paul said, I pray that you would be strengthened with all power. Now, does that mean he was saying, oh, you're going to be given all of God's power? The actual phrase of what he's indicating is that you will be given all the power that is necessary for what you are facing. But it will be done according to God's glorious might. I told you earlier, I was going to provide an opportunity to accept salvation in Christ Jesus because that's the critical first step. Without it, there is no need for us to sit here and have any conversation about that God needs to strengthen you or that God needs to give you ability to embrace the perfection of Christ or, or the, a power that will help to conquer death or that will demonstrate endurance with joy. Why? Because if you haven't completed the first step of accepting Jesus Christ as offered by God, then there's no way to ask God, hey, God, I, I don't want to be your child, but I do want you to give me something that you have. What is salvation? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that's out of the ordinary for me because I, God put something across my path this week and impressed it on my heart, and I'm willing to learn. And what I came across was a simple prayer. I'm going to show it to you here in a minute, and I'm, and, and we're going to, I'm going to read it to you, just show you just how simple it can be to accept salvation in Christ. But what is salvation? I think it's pretty much this simple. First, that we recognize that Christ died for our sins. Secondly, that after he died, that, that he was buried, but he rose again after three days. And the reason, one of the reasons that he rose was because that then he became the bridge across that separation of sin between us and God. It reminded me, thinking about so much with, with Stephen being in Uganda, how that we would promote the, the message of the cross, that sin had created this separation between us and God because God is holy. God is perfect. You heard me talk about that early in this message. God is perfect, and so he can only accept perfection but I'm not perfect, so how does that work? How, if I'm not perfect and he only accepts perfection, how can that work? And so there's this divide, this, this big canyon that's between me and him, and I can't get there. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to become human, to take on human flesh, and to live a life that's sinless because of God's power in him. And he lives a sinless life, and then he dies to pay the penalty for my sin. And then when he's raised and he comes back to God, he says, Now I, I, my cross becomes the bridge that spans the gulf that is between where I am and then all of my sin that would just swallow me whole into it to try to get to where God is. And so he becomes that bridge. And so now I walk in Christ Jesus. Because remember, salvation is by grace, His grace, through faith. I put my faith in who He is, and I walk in Him. And I cross that great gulf that was between me 
and God through Jesus Christ and the completed work that he did on the cross of Calvary. And I come to him. I restore my relationship and my access to God. In recognizing that God has patiently been waiting for us to hear his voice, then we can respond and we can surrender our lives to his power and to the guidance that he gives us through Christ so we can receive mercy instead of receiving the penalty for our sins. Receiving salvation is just like receiving this power. We said, how do you, how do you receive this power that Paul is praying? Because he said, I pray. I pray this for you. You ask. You ask God, God, I want to be filled with your power. For, and in the same way, in order to come to him to begin with, said, God, I, I just want you to be the Lord of my life. We ask. So here in just a moment, I'm going to end up asking you to close your eyes. Not yet, but here in a moment, so that we can have a private moment. But before that, I'm going to put something on the screen. And here in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And you may pray it quietly. You may repeat the words in your mind. Or you may simply say, God, that's what I'm praying right now. It really doesn't matter. God sees your heart. It's not about the words. But I want, I want you to see the, the understanding of, of how simple it can be to surrender our lives to God. So that then we can end up being filled with all power according to his glorious might so that we can have endurance and patience and do so with joy. Here's what this, this prayer says. God, I want to experience your mercy today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and I am surrendering to Jesus as my Savior today. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Live in me as my leader. In Uganda, they understand the term boss because you do what the boss says. And so we would always say, I want you to be the boss of my life. God, live in me as my leader from now on. I receive salvation today in Jesus' name. Why? Because he says that if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the same shall be saved. It's not about, I have to beg for something. It's just, God, I believe. I want to experience your mercy. And so I believe. And I confess with my mouth. And I surrender to Jesus being my Savior today. So come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And I want to receive that today. And so I do. I receive it because he wants to give it. 